Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Neighborhood Watch Team previews roll on. We are to the new schools. We are with the BYU Cougars and Locked On Cougars host Jake Hatch is here to break things down for us. Uh, So BYU is one of the schools that I think folks obviously are excited for the trip. They're excited for the Cougar Tales, uh, fun schedule, all those kinds of things. But it was funny, Jake, you and I previewed the school last year just because, you know, we wanted to look at the schools that were coming into the league yeah. Uh, in kind of their final year in the other places, obviously the other three schools, the AAC and BYU was independent. And we were kind of like, this was, that was the roster really that you'd love to have them taking into the big 12. Now things didn't work, actually work out as well for them last year. They ended up going, uh, you know, what was it last season? Eight, five. Uh, eight, eight and five, right? So it was, it was a good year, but it felt like that was a year where they really could have, I mean, that, that roster is strong. You know, I thought about the game against Arkansas where, you know, you had SEC punt at home. Things didn't really go well for them in that game. They had that, you know, ECU game later on in the year, obviously. They had the Arkansas Liberty ECU stretch. Mm-hmm. So maybe kind of under the radar could be a good thing for this season. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And BYU, yes, would have liked to have had a, had a better season a year ago, especially considering this the way that roster was constructed. But they understood that going into the Big 12, they needed to upgrade the overall just talent base of the BYU football program. And that meant getting quality depth into the program. They hit the transfer portal hard, Josh. They brought in, uh, the, according to my estimates and what I ca- calculated, 58 newcomers to the BYU football program, whether that's transfer portal, enrolling high school players. Of course, with BYU, always have guys who are coming home off of LDS missions as well. They're going to join the program. So almost nearly half this roster was turned over in the offseason. And BYU's offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick, says that he believes BYU is upgraded at every position on their offense and particularly thought across the entire team, there's been an upgrade in overall talent and depth. Now that's uh, him saying that, is it ultimately going to come to fruition? We'll find out this fall when they actually take the field. So the newest addition, kind of the big, the big one is Keaton Slovis at quarterback and folks are familiar with him because he's played a variety of schools, uh, you know, across his career now makes his way to BYU. Now gets you know, the starting job at a school of the power five, um, what is the fan kind of appetite, you know, appetite is kind of fan temperature. And also what have you been hearing from camp, uh, at least the limited information you can gather. I know coaches kind of play things close to the vest, but what have you been able to gather about Slovis's performance and how things are gelling for him as he heads into this kind of final uh, chapter of his college career? 
Uh, coaches have raved about him. They believe he is going to play his best football, hopefully, this year for BYU. He has stated multiple times, both on my podcast and the other publications, that he is finally playing for the first offensive coordinator he actually committed to in his collegiate career. At USC, there was the switcheroo with Graham Harrell coming in after he had committed to the program. And then at Pitt, uh, they had uh, Pat Narduzzi made the change after he had committed as a grad transfer going there as well. So he's looking forward to working with uh, offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. And BYU's coaches just raved about his leadership. They really like what he's showing on the field. What we have seen, we've been out to about six of their practices so far by my account, maybe seven practices. And what I've seen with my own eyes is he shows a really, really nice touch on that deep ball. And Aaron Roderick absolutely loves those chunky yardage plays where you can get deep balls over the top of a defense. And if he can deliver, based on the way that they're talking about him in practice, BYU is going to probably not skip a beat offensively. And that's saying something considering they've had both Zach Wilson and Jared and Hall running this offense. So that's kind of the next question is Rod and Roderick's, I think was the what QB coach before you know, yeah. one season as OC and then QB coach. So what's going to change here? Because Slovis is not as mobile as Zach Wilson or as Jaron Hall were at the quarterback spot. So what, you know, do you think they're going to have to make some adjustments? Do you think they're going to try to make him move. It's not like he can't move. It's just, he's, he's more of a pocket passer. What do you think is going to be the change in terms of like how the quarterback position is played? Because that Wilson and Hall did move the pocket a bit more, uh, as we know from watching them play. Uh, what I have seen is they're going to play more from just a set pocket. It looks like with him under center, they upgraded the running back position with two transfers into the program that they're expected to shoulder more of the load because you're right. The quarterback run game, which has been a, a nice staple of BYU's offense with both Jaron Hall and Zach Wilson, that's not necessarily going to fly as much with Keaton Slovis. You may try it on occasion, maybe a, a read option here and there or an RPO, but he's a guy who's more of your traditional, as you know this, Josh, a drop back passer. So BYU went about upgrading the running back position and also uh, really beefing up that offensive line with the thought, okay, we're going to have to make more plays in the pocket. He's going to operate more from the pocket, so you got to give him that time. And obviously, if they do need to move the pocket, they will. But yeah, the QB run game, I think this year, uh, takes a little bit of a hiatus for BYU. So the, the passing game, obviously, Puka Nako is a huge part of what they were doing on offense. Uh, you know, And they do, do bring back uh, Isaac Rex, so a big part of that. But uh, what are we seeing wide receiver position for this group? You think, you know, who's going to be leading the way and uh, who are coming some of the new faces that'll be tasked. And I know, but you know, Puka had his fair share of injuries, so we didn't get to see him yeah. as much as we'd like to. And same thing can be said, obviously for Jaron Hall as well. Uh, but you know, who can we expect from this receiving core to emerge and who's new? So they brought three back that were steady contributors a year ago. Those were Keanu Hill, who actually led BYU in receiving yards a year ago. Chase Roberts was a, a kind of a really nice revelation last year, as well as Cody Epps. Those three return, obviously, will be part of the starting rotation for BYU at wide receiver. But uh, it, just to kind of echo what I've talked about here, they hit the transfer portal once again for wide receivers. They brought in Eastern Michigan transfer Darius Lassiter, as well as UConn transfer Keelan Marion. They have raved about both of those guys coming in and just being a part of this unit. It. They think amongst those five, as well as freshman uh, Parker Kingston, they think they have a six-man rotation that is going to, uh, at minimum, replace what Puka Nakua put out there. Because Puka, was when he was on the field, he was far and away the best receiver BYU had. And if you, all you got to do is just look what he's doing with the Los Angeles Rams right now to understand how good of a player he was. But they think between those six players, they're going to be able to replace that production and hopefully add some to that because they have more bodies and more talent overall. And then the offensive line, how do you think this group is going to hold up? Because I, th I think what a lot of folks feel that they think about BYU and they think about like the future of that team in this league, they think about, hey, 
is the offensive line going to be a spot where they can shine because they get a lot of the, you know, they get a lot of players, uh, obviously, you know, from overseas, guess kind of use the term, you know, American Samoa places like that guys who are good physical. And they also get a lot of guys coming back, you know, for missions and whatnot. And I think the possessions where that kind of helps you the most, the offensive line, because you have a bunch of grown men playing for you at the position where you want grown men to be playing for you. So how does that offensive line outlook? Uh, what is it like for this season, at least? It looks good on paper. Uh, they did uh, have four guys leave that were very, very good players from a year ago uh, on that offensive line. One of them being Blake Freeland, who's now with the Indianapolis Colts after being a draft pick there. Joe Tukuoff, who was a multi-year starter at guard. He lost the two Barrington brothers, Clark, who's a three-year starter, as well as his younger brother, Campbell. They're both at Baylor now. And then he also lost Harris Chance. So that's five guys. So five guys off the offensive line are gone from a year ago. But they hit the transfer portal as well as just working on their internal development of the players along this offensive front. And you talk about the, the older players, the more mature players here, Josh. This is actually a position group that, uh, just thinking off the top of my head right now, I can only think of two guys that I would place in the top 10 for BYU on this offensive line in terms of rotation guys who are actually guys who have come home off of missions uh, for the LDS Church. So uh, a little bit younger, I guess, overall as a unit, but they're very excited about them. they got a potential first-round draft pick stepping in at left tackle in Kingsley Suomataia. He looks very much the part there. Connor Pay is back to man his position at center. And then they brought in transfers like Waylon Lapuaho, uh, Caleb Etienne, a 13-game starter a year ago for Oklahoma State, comes in and probably moves over to right tackle for BYU. And then you just go on down the list. Simi Mawala, a former all-conference player for Utah, is back uh, to play for BYU this year after taking a year off of football. And then also former Utah starting center Paul Miley joins the mix as well. He's been a two-year starter for the Utes. So they really like the, the mix and match of all those guys there. They also have really young players in the mix, guys like Trevin Osler, as well as Peter Falonico and Sonny Moccasini. Those three are probably the younger players, the freshman and sophomore types that you're going to be counting on uh, moving forward in the Big 12 Conference. But they really feel like they've got at least 10 guys they think they can rotate. The nice part is it would be a very, very good position battle uh, weekly to determine who the starting five are going to be on a weekly basis. So things not, not quite as set there at, at that yeah. point. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing is on paper, it looks like they have a lot of good bodies there. But when you lose five guys off an offensive line that was pretty solid a year ago, you got to just get that unit to gel. Now, the, the coach is similar as you would expect in training camp. Talk about, yeah, we're on track. We're doing the right things. These guys are all loving each other and they're doing they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But you've actually got to get them out on the field. Obviously, when you're when the bullets are live, as they say, and get them playing together, that's when you really know, OK, did we do enough work in terms of getting these guys working together? in tandem that's going to be the big differentiator for this BYU offense as a whole with the quarterbacks the running backs all of it you got to get them out on the field because there's a lot of new parts and we won't know necessarily how good they are until they actually take the field one part uh we see a lot of new parts is the defense yes right this is a defense that I mean you talk about transition uh you know a lot of the staff is gone they do have some holdovers in terms of the team but this is was Sataki's worst defense, right? This was statistically speaking the worst defense. Now, once again, they did play a, you know somewhat of a, a difficult schedule at some points that could contribute to that too. They played some good offensive teams, but I mean, this was a defense that really did struggle stopping. Uh, you know, they they couldn't stop a whole lot. It felt like last year when you watched them play. So, biggest changes that we'll see under new defensive coordinator Jay Hill this year. What do you think? 
Uh, first thing under Jay Hills is a cohesive identity. It felt like week to week over the last two years in particular under Eliza Tuiaki and Ed Lamb on that defense. It was almost like they were like reinventing the defense on a week to week basis and really gave guys no chance to really settle into knowing, okay, this is what our identity is as a defense. That's one thing that Jay Hill vowed to change and he has done that. They run a more of a four-man front on every single down now on defense. They know that what their base rules are as a defensive unit as well. And the nice part is I think the players have bought into that. They got a little bit, I think, uh, just uh, they feel like discombobulated in a way. Week to week, we go with a 3-4 alignment here. We go with a 3-3-5. We go with a 4-3. Every week, it was a new defense, it felt like. Jay Hill has come in and implemented. It'll be a, it'll morph between a 4-3 and a 4-2-5, depending on the alignment. The linebackers will determine that in BYU's new def defense. But the biggest thing he brought is that defensive identity. The other thing that he has promised is he says he will not die by, he will not suffer death by a thousand paper cuts, meaning that he's absolutely going to get after the quarterback. He refuses to let quarterbacks get comfortable in that pocket. Now, do they have the talent to rush the passer after finishing second to last in all of FBS football in team sacks from a year ago? That's a great question. They brought in some transfers that hopefully will help increase that pass, that pass rush. But the, the really the proof will be in the pudding. I think this fall. Yeah. I you know for them, obviously getting after the quarterback, like there is a, this conference is not known for pass rushing, right? It's kind of, I mean, we, they've had a couple good pass rushers as of late, but you know, like obviously actually funny enough, we just had three of them go in the first round, right? You have Felix, yeah, Andy, say, Zara, yeah. you had Will McDonald, you had Tyree Wilson, but you think about on the whole, like this is not a conference that feels like it's defined by elite pass rushing. It's nice if you have them though, because when you, a lot of these teams play three, three fives, that means they can kind of rely on that three man front or maybe a fourth yeah. guy to help them get home. Um, but that is interesting. They're going to go, hey, four two five four three. But a lot of this conference does play three three five. So up front, how are you feeling? Who are the guys that you think they're going to be trying to deploy to get after the passer? So they brought in two transfers from Boise State, one being Isaiah Banya, who plays defensive end, the other being Jackson Cravens, who's a defensive tackle. And both of them are very good contributors for the Boise State football program. And uh, they are actually a very well-regarded defensive line unit in terms of the Broncos historically. So those two come in and they're already running with the first string defense. So you expect both of those two to contribute. The other two I'm going to mention are both holdovers from last year's team, one of them being Tyler Batty. He is a guy who looks like the prototypical defensive end that you see at the NFL level is a 4-3 end. He's a six foot six, 270 pound, uh, just a uh, freak of an athlete. The problem was in BYU's previous defense, he was asked being asked to two gap rather than get after the quarterback. And that absolutely neutered his ability to get after them. So expect him to see an uptick in his overall production in terms of getting after the quarterback this year. And then alongside him on the interior one more time, you're probably going to be looking at, at a tandem of both Atunai Samahe and Caden Haas there. Both of them are naturally uh, smaller players. They both weigh in about 300 pounds and stand about five foot 11, six foot, but they use their natural leverage to their ability. They're not space eating guys like Kyrus Tonga was for BYU three years ago. They're more of guys that will fit better in this defense where they can essentially focus on one gap attack, do their assignment, and then hopefully get after uh, it on defense. Two gapping is not their skill set, So the new defensive philosophy should allow those guys to play a little more to their skill set. Linebacker, do you feel like this is a group that, you know, could improve from last year, kind of, I mean, even help out the pass rush? I mean, what's kind of the strength of this linebacking core? Uh, what do you think they're going to be asked to do? Is it just going to be kind of the new standard, which is kind of variety for a lot of the linebackers, especially guys who are more towards the middle? 
Yeah, they brought two of their uh, main guys back from last year's team and Ben Bywater and Max Tooley. Both of them are very, very good football players, but they're not necessarily the most assignment sound linebackers. They freelance a little bit and it, it, it's both to their credit and also it hurts the defensive times when they do that. They solved that problem in my mind by bringing in A.J. Vong Pachon. He is a grad transfer from Utah State, collected annually 100 tackles over his three years that he played for the Aggies. He comes to BYU and I'll say right now, if he doesn't get 100 tackles this year, something went very very, very wrong in BYU's mm. defense. He's a tackling machine. He's the guy who really will be the bedrock of this defense. He's he's your consummate uh, middle linebacker where he's able to just kind of be that bedrock to build the defense around. And BYU very much expects him to be a star for this defense in his one season with the Cougars. So uh, with that trio of guys, I think you can find a nice rotation. The one other newcomer that I would expect to make some noise is a, a kid by the name of Isaiah Glasker. He originally started out playing safety for BYU. He's all a six foot five. He's packed on about 30 pounds of muscle, and he's been an absolute revelation in training camp. It's going to be hard to keep him off the field, and the hope is that with him adding to the other three I've already mentioned, they will have a nice rotation of linebackers, all of which can contribute in big ways. Then the secondary, too. I know they've made some adjustments. They do have a couple guys coming back there, but they had the the kid that you got from Weber State. I mean, the FCS All-American kid they brought in. Yeah. I mean, they're you know, this is a group that if they can't get out of the pass, they're going to be relying on these guys because we know in this in the Big 12, I mean, especially with I think with this, this group quarterbacks this year, like there is some there's some thoughts. But I mean, think about Will Howard. Think about Tyler Shuck. You know, even Alan Bowman's like good, like just kind of the group overall. They're going to be uh, there's some gunslingers this year in the Big 12 conference. And so you, you got to be good at that position. Yeah, BYU uh, feels like their secondary is going to be up to snuff. They did, as you mentioned, they brought in Eddie Heckard, who is an FCS All-American for Jay Hill at Weber State. He is already amongst the starters for BYU at cornerback. He's been that since he showed up for spring ball. So expect to see him starting on one side. The other is uh, probably the best DB from a year ago in my mind, and that being Jacob Robinson. He played uh, both safety and corner a year ago, but he's focused solely on corner this year, and he has been very, very good in training camp so far. So they feel like those two have the capability, as you mentioned, being able to go one-on-one in man coverage and be able to hold it down. And BYU needs them to do that because at safety, they just suffered a really, really uh, big injury with Micah Harper being lost for the year due to an ACL tear suffered in BYU's first scrimmage. Now, he, along with Malik Moore, were expected to be BYU's starting safety tandem. And Moore is going to be back and absolutely be a really, really fine player. But losing a Micah Harper, because Harper's ability is he's a playmaker. Big interceptions, forcing fumbles making a big tackle for loss when you need him to come up and run support. Losing that is absolutely going to hurt BYU's defense. They say they have, they think, two or three guys they think can fill in in that spot, but you got to settle on at least one of them and hope that they can live up to the billing as that quote-unquote strong safety in this defense, which is what Michael Harper was playing. So, yeah, they I think they have three of the positions very much locked down in that secondary, but with that injury to Michael Harper, it does leave a hole for the Cougars. All right, so let's look at the schedule now. So uh, BYU has a, you know, I think once again, like we talked about which teams are excited to, to take trips, which places everybody's mentioning. Uh, Provo, Utah is, is one of the spots and kind of the atmospheres and whatnot. But we'll go to that first month, and I, I month we'll just do the first four games, just kind of the group together. Sam Houston, Southern Utah, you think they should be able to take care of those at home, obviously. Then they go to Fayetteville, take on the Razorbacks, and then at Kansas. So a stretch for that. Look, they're going to have to go on the road twice there to to end the first month. And, uh, you know, KU, like, I think everybody feels like you can beat them. The one thing about them, though, is that if you want to play them, you probably want to get them later in the year. So that yeah. first month, because once again, like for them, they are a school that does, they're still trying to build that that depth uh, from a full roster standpoint. So the earlier in the year, kind of the worse off. 
uh, you know, at least in theory. But that first month, challenging. I mean, it looks like a three and one, two and two month, maybe. Yeah, you got to get out of there two and two at minimum. You should beat Sam Houston, should beat Southern Utah to start the season. You should be two and zero. Oh. The problem is you're going to be uh, with a newish defense still going on the road, as you mentioned two times to face off against two very good offenses in both Arkansas and Kansas. That's the concern for BYU. Is is this defense going to be up to snuff to stop guys like Jalen Daniels and or KJ Jefferson, the two quarterbacks of those two teams? Speaking of the Jayhawks and the Razorbacks, respectively, that's a huge question mark right now. So I, I think at minimum you get out of there two and two if you get to three and one you're feeling very very good about those first four games and the good news i guess there is like you kind of get to the maybe the two best quarterbacks will play the entire season out of the way Probably, i mean yeah. I, I, yeah and look there are guys who are good who got potential the rest of the way but i think in terms of proven guys you know that, that's kind of the best the best you could hope for then they get cincinnati at home which i think you know if you look at cincinnati roster like you, you kind of feel on a friday night too nonetheless you feel pretty good about byu in that game at tcu is going to be a challenge we're not sure where the horn frogs will be at but still uh, you know, they they look like they might be able to capitalize roster wise off last year, even though they lost some guys. It looks like they're going to be able to b- build a little bit at least back. Texas Tech at home, which I think will be a really exciting, fun matchup, especially considering the hype around Texas Tech and then at Texas. So outside of Cincinnati, I mean, they get those three Texas schools back to back to back, two of which are on the road. Uh, that's another challenging month. You know, another, another one of those where you might say, hey, it could be another 500 month and you might be thinking about four and four as you had to. You know, and, and, not, and maybe not a bad four and four, right? You know, you, you've yeah. had a challenging schedule. It could be a, a, an okay four and four, depending on how it goes when you head into November. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Josh. You absolutely nailed it. It feels like to me, you got to get out of there two and two. I think you beat Cincinnati at home and you got to pick off one of the other ones. Whether you go to TCU and stun them down there in Ammon G. Carter, you go to Texas and upset what should be a highly uh, ranked uh, Texas team, or as you mentioned, you take advantage of the home field advantage against Texas Tech. I feel like you got to pick up just another win in that bunch. And if you get to two and two, you're four and four going into the month of November. Uh, as you mentioned, this schedule sets up to be pretty challenging for BYU. So I think sitting at four and four would be a very, very good accomplishment because then at that point, you're looking at the final month of the season, you got to pick off two more wins to get to bowl eligibility. And in many ways, the the slate in November, at least the first two games we'll talk about here in just a minute, uh, appear to be much more winnable right now than we would have thought coming into the season. I mean, they have the biggest, maybe the biggest question mark final month of any of any team I think I've gone through yet at this point, because West Virginia on the road, like in theory, sounds difficult, but you know, I think that, and honestly, it could be a weird situation where like they, they might have been, been without their coach at this point. Yeah. Right. So like it, they might've, you know, been playing with the interim for a while. So who knows where they could be at at that point in time. Uh, Iowa state, I think we feel pretty good about saying that, that, that that's going to be rough. That's going to be rough for, for Iowa state this year. Uh, just considering I mean, what's happened there and kind of how things went last year. Don't as players. gamble on your games, kids. Let's just say that. Yeah. Don't gamble the games you're playing in. Um, you know, you end up screwing your team and, and not, not going to have a good year. Uh, Oklahoma at home. And again, a lot of folks are looking forward to because, you know, if BYU ends up being like a decent team, like, you know, Hey, a, a season where you go seven and five, you know, eight and four, whatever it is, you know, if you're in that range and you get you get a nice win there, you're really going to feel be feeling pretty good about yourself. And look, um, you know, I think Oklahoma's schedule is pretty easy. I don't know how good they are, and that game that game is, could have some massive implications for what happens in the Big Twelve title race. So I'm really looking forward to that. And the last game they're going to play in Stillwater, and nobody has any idea how good Oklahoma State's going to be this year. Uh, you know, we like Mike Gundy, but like they've lost so much to the roster, and if anybody can do it, it's him. But they've got a do defensive coordinator from division three. So, I mean, who the hell knows? I I would say you kind of feel pretty good at this point, but like who really knows what's going to be going on at that point of the season. 
Yeah, and that's the thing about it. I, I think the BYU beats both West Virginia and Iowa State, and they get to six wins. So they'll be six and four going into those final two, the Oklahoma schools coming up. Uh, Josh, I just found this out yesterday, but Oklahoma, the home game is Oklahoma. Literally every single ticket, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, all 63,725 tickets have been sold. It's officially sold out. It's going to be a packed house. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be rowdy. It's probably the only time the Sooners are ever going to come to Provo, Utah. You can expect BYU fans to be at just absolute deafening levels in that game. So, yeah, to your point, you're probably sitting, I think, in 6-4 and four at this point, looking at the schedule, how we've kind of broken it down. And then if you want a signature win, get that home win over Oklahoma on your home turf and get to seven wins and then go to Oklahoma state. It's a little bit of a wild card, but yeah, if you're sitting at seven and five with a signature win over in Oklahoma, that'd be a really, really solid season. I think all things considered. I agree. Do you think seven and five, is that, is that what, what you think we're looking at here? I've said the baseline for success in my mind is six and six. I think if they get to a bowl game, I, I would be happy with it. Uh, but yeah, seven and five, I, the more I think about this, I think it's a possibility. Of course, like I said, there's all these question marks with all the transfers and new additions of this BYU football program that have to pan out. But the way the schedule sets up, if BYU catches fire, I think they could get to seven and five. I think they would top out probably eight and four. And first year as a power five member, that'd be a very, very good start. I'm with you on that. Jake, where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Uh, you can follow Locked On Cougars wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on YouTube, like this fine program. I don't miss Josh ever. I, I can say that. I, I watch Neighborhood Watch all the time. Uh, but also, uh, you want to follow my work, uh, check out Locked On Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My personal Twitter feed, if you want my thoughts on all things sports, in addition to BYU, uh, check me out. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. Jake Hatch, Locked On Cougars. We appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Josh.